So in 2016, uh, a few of uh, the pastors at Frontline, me and some, some of my buddies, we, we went to Colorado to do a hiking trip and uh, to hike a few 14ers. And if you're not familiar with that language, 14er, it's just a 14,000 foot mountain and they're all over Colorado and, uh, and it's hard to go to Colorado and not do one of those when you're there. So we went for the express purpose to hike. We found two of them. Uh, one was Mount Bierstadt and then the other was Mount Evans. And they're actually connected by what's called a saddle. So you can, you can do two in one day, which is amazing. It's like, wow, we're in Colorado for like three days. Let's do two of these. And so that was the plan. And we uh, hiked our way up to Bierstadt. It wasn't too bad. And then we saw the, the way to get to uh, Mount Evans. And I, I, I knew this because I'd done some research. I'd studied, I'd read, I'd watched videos. And the problem is usually a saddle is very simple. It's really, really easy. You just kind of walk across and make your way up to the next mountain. But this one was very, very dangerous. It's called the Sawtooth. And uh, people die on this mountain. In fact, in 2012, two different people died uh, a few weeks apart from each other. They just slipped and fell. And the reason why, we've got some pictures. That doesn't look that scary, but when you see it in real life, it's really intimidating. And then another one, this is the, the path that you follow. And what you can't see is that's like hundreds and hundreds of feet down to your left. And then one more I'll show you here. Yeah, that one. And you can see the guy right up there, which gives you a little perspective. It doesn't look that scary, but when you're up there, basically here's what it is. You've got a rock face wall on your right side and you've got a several hundred foot drop on your left side and a tiny, tiny path that you're walking on that's slanted. And if you just slip at all, it's not like you can slip and be okay. If you slip, you will die 100%. And so uh, we did it. And we were walking across, but he, he, here's, the, here's the, the scary part about this, is that there comes a point, it's called the ridge, there comes a point on the ridge where you have to decide if you're going to go left or right. So I'll show you this picture here. And what you want to do is you want to go right, but that looks more scary, doesn't it? The left option actually looks a little easier, it looks like not as bad, and you can do that. But what happens when most hikers get to this place on the ridge, they decide to, to go left, and, and when they die, many of them die because they went left, and they slip, and they fall. And that's very, very hard to get up. So what you have to do is, is actually coach your brain. I know this is dangerous. I know this is difficult. I know that this seems crazy, but I need to take the path that seems way harder right now. And so we did. We got there, and everything in me wanted to go left. But actually, if you go right, here's what it looks like. It's not as bad. Every time you take about a few steps forward, you see another 10 or 15 steps that you can take that don't seem that scary. And then you take a few more steps, and you see the path ahead of you, and it's not as bad. So here's why I share all of this with you. Part, part of it is just because I wanted to brag that I actually did that. And so that's, that's true. Uh, the, the, second, the second reason is because we have arrived at a place in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 through 7, where we are at the ridge of the Sermon on the Mount. We are at the ridge, and things feel really dangerous right now. And one of uh, we're, we're tempted to go one of two ways right now, no matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not, we're tempted to really wrestle with, should we actually do the things that Jesus has told us to do? Because this, this path feels hard, it feels difficult, it feels dangerous, and we feel the pull to really wrestle with, maybe there's an easier way, maybe there's an alternative. Jesus has been teaching about everything from lust to anger to 
uh, loving your enemies, to uh, marriage and divorce, to how we deal with anxiety, to prayer, money, possessions, all of it. He's been addressing every topic of our lives, and we feel the pull to take the easy road. And today, Jesus is going to invite us to make a decision. He's going to invite us into the hard path. So if you're with me, Matthew 7, grab your Bibles, Matthew 7. And I want to read uh, just two verses that we're going to look at today, verse 13 and verse 14. And if you don't have a Bible, no big deal. I've got mine and I'll just read from that. We'll also have it up on the screen. So here, here are the words of Jesus as he teaches us what it is to be human. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Life is complicated. Life is messy. There's a million decisions that have to be made on a day-to-day basis. And yet Jesus in this passage, he distills all of that down into two different ways two ways. And this is really interesting. It's not because Jesus is unintelligent or is uh, lacking nuance that he does this. It's because he's actually a really brilliant teacher that he wants to simplify things for us and say, really, there's just two ways. And this is a literary device that has been used throughout all of the Bible. So if you think about the, the whole Old Testament, maybe you're not familiar with much of the story of the Old Testament, but really this two ways language, this two paths language shows up again and again and again for life on earth for us as human beings. So let me just give you a few different ways that we see this show up that Jesus is queuing up on as he gets to Matthew 7. The first is in the very beginning of the Bible. It starts with a story of two trees. You have the tree of life and you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These two trees. Now, uh, some people wonder, like, were these real trees? Is it just metaphor? That ultimately doesn't matter. That's not the more important question. The reality is that whether they were real or metaphor, these two trees are painting a picture of two ways to live. You have two ways. You can either uh, take the tree of life, which is really taking the sense of trust in God, the sense of humility and dependence, putting yourself underneath his authority, giving him the right as God to define what's good and evil, to define what's right or wrong, to define what life should be like and how we should live and how we should engage human relationships on earth. So that's the tree of life. Or you can take the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is when you and I decide to branch out and to reach this state where we define what's good and evil for ourselves where we say what is right and wrong for us, where we uh, call the shots of our own life. It's essentially uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is when we want to be gods ourselves. So we push God out and we start to define good and evil. And the whole idea here is one of these trees leads to life and one of these leads to destruction. There's two ways. See this again in Deuteronomy. Once you read Deuteronomy, uh, what you have in Deuteronomy is this idea of the way of blessing and the way of curses. Now, that's not language that we use a lot unless you're like into Harry Potter. You know, you don't really talk about curses very often, but curses and blessings are, are these biblical concepts. So what you have is Moses that teaches in Deuteronomy. He says, this is the way of Yahweh. 
right? Here's how Yahweh God wants you to live on earth as the unique people of God. He's talking to the people of Israel. He gives them commands. He tells them how to function. He tells them what justice looks like, what equity looks like, how to deal with money, how to deal with lust and divorce and marriage and singleness and all this stuff. He teaches them. And then he says this at the very end of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy 11. He says, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse, two ways. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. So Moses distills all of his teaching down to two ways. He says you can take the way of blessing, is the way of embracing who God is, living in light of what he's commanded you, or you can take your own way and turn aside. And that's the way of curses that he talks about. We see this again in Psalm 1. Once you get to Psalm 1, it talks about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And it says this, it says the way of the righteous is like this tree. Imagine a beautiful, healthy, thriving, flourishing tree planted deep into the ground by streams of water. That's what it looks like when you embrace the way of God. But then there's the wicked, the way of the wicked. And this is like chaff that's blown about by the wind. There's two ways. One leads to life. One leads to destruction. He says this in Psalm 1-6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Two ways. And then finally, you see this in Proverbs, right? In Proverbs, you have the way of wisdom and you have the way of folly. And these are uh, portrayed as two women, two ladies, beautiful ladies that are calling out to you to pay attention to them, right? So lady wisdom's like, hey, listen, I wanna teach you how to live. I wanna teach you how to be human. I I wanna show you the way of God in the world. This is what life should look like for you. It's the way of wisdom and that leads to life. But then in Proverbs 9, there's another woman, Lady Folly. And she's calling out, no, 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 don't listen to her. This is my way. Take life by the reins in your own strength and your own power. Define what's good and evil for yourself. Do your own thing. Take your own way. Proverbs says one of those leads to life and the other leads to death. And so here's what God is doing throughout all of the story of the Bible. He's essentially, you can boil this whole story down to God repeatedly coming to humanity again and again and again, offering us a choice between two alternative ways, two paths, two decisions. You can take my way or you can take your way. And what Jesus has been doing in the, in the Sermon on the Mount has been giving us his vision for life. In every facet of what it is to be a human, he's been showing us his vision for how to live. And we come to the place on the ridge of the mountain where it looks really, really scary, looks really, really dangerous. And Jesus says, I want you to choose. Here's the different alternatives. Here's the way. So with all of that backstory, let's look again at verse 13. And let's just unpack this together. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus uses this metaphor for life. Imagine you and I kind of going about our life. And there's two different gates that are opposites. There's two different paths or ways that those gates lead us to that are opposites. And then there's two different destinations 
And those are opposites that those paths and those gates ultimately lead us to. And so there's this interesting thing that Jesus is doing where he's pairing up some stuff. I just want to look at three different pairs, opposite pairs. So here's the first one, wide versus narrow, wide versus narrow. Uh, the, The wide gate, if you're curious, what is the wide gate? The wide gate is the gate that you and I just naturally take. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to debate. You don't have to really, you know, discern what you're doing. You just naturally take the wide gate. You don't have to really look for it. It's just the way that you live naturally. It's there. You don't have to change anything about yourself. You don't have to kind of like squeeze and shimmy by to get in. You just, you just live your life and do your thing and you are on the wide gate. Dallas Willard says this. He says, the broad gate is simply doing whatever I want to do. That's what the broad gate is. Like, if you want to know if you're on the wide versus the narrow gate, the wide gates, you just do whatever you want to do. What do you want for your life? How do you want to live? How do you want to interact with money? How do you want to interact with anger? How do you want to interact with bitterness and unforgiveness? What about lust and divorce and these messy things about our lives? Like, how do you want to interact with these? And if you are, if you are on the wide gate, you just say, here's what I want and here's how I'm going to live. The wide gate essentially is you making a daily conscious decision, whether, whether you realize it or not, making a daily decision to be your own authority. This is the wide gate. But the narrow gate is so different. It's so, so different than this because the narrow gate is what happens when you and I decide that we're actually going to embrace Jesus as Savior and as Lord. It's interesting to me that Jesus talks about himself often uh, as a door or as the way or as a gate, which is a really weird way to talk about yourself, but he does. And John 14, verse six, you know this, but listen, Jesus said to him, I am the way. Like, do you want to know the way? I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus is saying there, there comes a point in your life where you actually decide, like, are you going to be the authority or are you actually going to get out of God's chair and let him reign and rule over your life in a functional way and you embrace him, not just as Savior, but as Lord, and he becomes the way. He becomes the way. Or again, in John 10, verse 9, it sa- Jesus says this. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out, go in and out and find pasture. So listen, entering the narrow gate is essentially an authority shift that happens in your life. To enter the narrow gate is to say, I functionally make a really bad God. Like when I'm at the helm of my life, things don't go well. So I'm getting out of his chair and I'm embracing Jesus. Not just like a checking the box or walking an aisle, praying a prayer. Like that's not what it really is to be a Christian. What it is to be a Christian is to make this conscious decision to put yourself underneath the authority of Jesus. Where he actually now has the right to say what is good and evil for your life. He actually has the right to say yes or no to what you want to do. He has the right to govern and shape how we live. This is the narrow gate. And it's hard to get in, isn't it? Because you you can't just walk in with all of your sin and walk in with all of your self-righteousness and walk in with all of your own authority and go, I want you too, but I just want to be able to ultimately say what's good and evil for myself. You actually have to say, I'm laying that down to squeeze through the narrow gate, which is Jesus. This is an authority 
shift. And that leads me to the second pair that I want to look at. It's not just wide and narrow, but the, the second pair is easy versus hard. Easy versus hard. Can I just level with you for a second as a pastor and as a Christian? Following Jesus is hard. It's hard. I wish someone would have told me that early on. They're like, oh, no, it's great. I mean, you know, your sins are forgiven. You're given a new identity. You're considered a son or a daughter. It's amazing. All of that's really true. But what they often leave out is, oh, and it's ridiculously hard. Because so often the way you and I think and function and live is just so opposite of how Jesus calls us to think and to function and to live. It's not just wide versus narrow. It's easy versus hard. The reason why we go through the, the wide gate is because there's an easy path on the other side. Like me getting to call the shots is easy. Me getting to be my own God is very, very simple. The easy way is this way. It's just accepting whatever script culture hands you and says, this is what the good life is. Take it. That's the easy way. I was recently talking to a friend of mine who's wrestling with the claims of Jesus and we were talking and she just was confessing like, man, I, 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 I don't know how you believe this story and all the nuances and, you know, he rose from the dead and these miracles. And like, I don't know how you believe this really happened. And, and I just encouraged her. I said like, hey, don't, don't think that we are the only, that I'm the only person sitting here that believes a story. You believe a story too. There's a story that you believe that, that you, you would say, here's what the good life is. And here's what went wrong in the world. And here's what I need to do to fix it. And, and here's how to live. And here's how to engage in money and possessions and anger and friendship and marriage and singleness. Like you are embracing a story too. The question isn't like, uh, are you going to believe the story of Christianity? The question is like, what story are you believing? What story have you embraced? Because the easy path is just to embrace whatever story culture hands you. Oh, you want to be satisfied? Get a lot of money get all the stuff that you want, get the house that you want, get the car that you want, you will have pleasure. You want to be satisfied? Sleep with who you want. Look at porn when you want. Do the thing that you want. Do you, do you want to have joy in your life, right? If marriage is hard, then just get out of it. Walk away. This is the story that culture has handed us, and it's very, very easy. And yet Jesus says, there's another way. Through the narrow gate, on the other side is a really, really hard path. I love these words of Frederick Bruner. He says, the life of discipleship passes day by day through the narrow gate of the decision to make Jesus one sole Lord. And look at this. And so to walk the decidedly uneasy road of obeying his commands against impiety, anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, hate, ostentation, and greed. This is really hard. One of the things that's happened to me as I've studied the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't know if this has happened to you, we're 13 weeks in. One of the things that's happened to me is the shocking feeling of how often the way that I thought I was supposed to live as a Christian, Jesus is going, yeah, you're totally wrong. Like completely, totally wrong. Actually, I want you to do this kind of the way I grew up as an American, I'm realizing that there are actually some fundamental things of what it is for me personally to function as an American, that Jesus is staring me in the face going, yeah, but you're just totally wrong. Like you can't be like that anymore. And you can't do that anymore. And you have to do this now and embrace this way. And 
it feels really hard. It feels really, really hard. In fact, if you just have heard the commands of Jesus this whole time, and you're like, man, that's basically really easy. Like, I'm basically doing this already. This is really simple. Then I don't think you've heard one thing that Jesus has said, right? It's really tough. And John Stott says this. He says, the Sermon on the Mount describes what human life and human community look like when they come under the gracious rule of God. And what do they look like? Different. So different. So let me just walk you through, just in case you've forgotten, the way of Oklahoma versus the way of Jesus, because these are two totally different paths. The way of Oklahoma, when it comes to anger, is this. If somebody does you wrong, seethe. Let that anger boil. Eventually get to the place where you can post a passive-aggressive comment on Facebook. Let them have it. Or... If you're not bold enough to do, which basically everybody is, like we're shameless in what we post on Facebook. But if you're not bold enough to do that, then just gather with some of your friends and backstab them. Because what they did to you is wrong. You are right to be angry. Jesus shows up in his way. He says, actually, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you are liable to the judgment of God. Don't be angry. Deal with it quick. Go speak to the person that has angered you and get it resolved. Because in the words of Frederick Bruner, God does not want to speak to a disciple who does not want to speak to another disciple. Well, that's not what I expected. The way of Oklahoma with lust is porn is no big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's easy to access now, so don't worry so much about it. Like, obviously Jesus understands, so you can engage it whenever you want. It's no big deal. And if you don't want to engage porn, then, then no one's in your mind or heart. As long as you're not touching, then you're not doing the crime, and it's okay. And yet the way of Jesus comes in, and he says, even if you look at another person with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's hard. Marriage and divorce The way of Oklahoma is, man, when things get rough and rocky and when the other person stops fulfilling your happiness and they're they're like, you know, not living the way that you want and they're 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 just hard to handle and you just kind of get frustrated and you feel like uh, pleasure could be better if you were to bail, then just bail. It's no big deal, just bail. The way of Jesus says, actually tell death do you part. Tell death do you part. Retaliation, the way of Oklahoma is when someone does you wrong, get them back. Respond. If they hit you, hit them back. If they harm you, harm them back. If they say something rude, say something rude back. The way of Jesus is, turn your cheek if they slap you. Right? Go the extra mile. It's okay if they even sometimes take financial advantage of you. What? That's hard. Enemy love. The way of Oklahoma is, well, I don't really have enemies. I just hate them and hope they die and I never see them again, right? No, we, we have enemies. The way of Oklahoma is, it's okay to hate your enemies. Like, you need to love your family. You need to love your friends. You need to be nice to the people that are nice to you. But if someone's an enemy, a political enemy, a religious enemy, a personal enemy, it doesn't matter. Just hate them. The way of Jesus is, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Treat those with respect that do not treat you with respect and response. Bless those who curse you. What? That's hard. Money and possessions. The American dream, the way of Oklahoma is get it. Get a lot of it. Jesus says, don't lay up treasure on earth. 
don't. Actually, do not lay up treasure on earth. And on and on and on we could go. He talks about prayer, anxiety, judgmentalism, all these other things. And here's my point. The way of Jesus is just different than the way of Oklahoma. It's different and it feels scary and it feels dangerous and it feels hard. And we're at that place on the ridge of the sermon where Jesus is saying, which way are you going to go? Right? Happy Father's Day, by the way. I'm so glad that you came today for this hard, hard sermon. That leads me to the the third and final thing, the pair that I want you to see. It's not just a wide and a narrow gate. It's not just an easy and a hard path, but one of these leads to destruction and the other leads to life. One leads to destruction, the other leads to life. In Matthew 7, 13, it says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Isn't it crazy how following Jesus and walking this hard path actually feels like we're dying the whole time? And yet Jesus says on the end is life. And the path that feels like is gonna be life-giving the whole time and fun and pleasurable and enjoyable leads to death. And this is because the very first lie that humanity was ever told by the devil in Genesis chapter three, uh, the devil spoke to Eve and he said, listen, God is holding out on you. He knows that this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, once you eat of that, you'll become God. You'll become your own gods. You'll get to call the strikes and you'll get authority and you'll get to, you know, define what's good and evil for yourself. And, And so he's trying to hold out on you. Don't let God hold out on you. He's this cranky, crotchety, cosmic deity that doesn't want you to have authority, that doesn't want you to have pleasure, that doesn't want you to have life. And so Eve, she reaches out, she takes hold of the tree And this is what you and I have been told over and over again, the same lie again and again and again, that God's way is holding out on us. There's a way of pleasure and there's the way of pain and he doesn't want us to take the road of pleasure. He's just asking us to take the road of pain the whole time because he doesn't want us to enjoy life. He doesn't want us to, no, no, no. No, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, I know how life works because I designed it. I created it. I set it up and I designed you as humans. Here's how you function in the way that will not lead to chaos and dysfunction and destruction. Here's how you function in the way of life. Jesus invites us into the hard path. I think about my kids and the easy way that they would choose if I wasn't a dad that actually cared about them, right? Like my daughter asks for candy no less than 4,000 times every single day. I've never met, I know all kids do this, but I've never met a kid like this ever who asks for candy more than my daughter. She has a real addiction. I've thought about calling my friend at Hope is Alive and be like, could we check her in? You know, like, is there like a 12-step program you have for this? Like she's over the top addicted to candy. And if I wasn't a good dad, there would be like teeth rotting and falling out constantly. And just multiply that across the board. Like, like Chad Kinser mentioned last week, their face would melt from screen time because that's all they'd want to do. And over and over the decisions they would make that they currently think are pleasurable, fun, and right and enjoyable. I know as a dad, that's really not going to take you where you want to go. That's not going to take you where you want to go. Now that's a silly and like surface level analogy, but imagine that blown up on a large scale where God as a good father is looking at us saying, hey, hey, like that sexual thing, like that's not going to take you where you want it to go. I'm not robbing you of pleasure. I'm trying to fight for your pleasure. 
that, that's, that, that path of money and possession, it's not going to take you where you think it's going to go. It won't. It will not fix you. It can't name you. It won't satisfy you. So don't go there. And over and over and over again, in fact, he's, he, he's saying this is like one of the hardest teachings in the, in the entire Sermon on the Mount. And God as Father is not giving us these words as an angry, like robbing us. He's a dad raising his voice as the kids run into the street trying to get us to stop. That's what he's doing here. Proverbs says it this way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And this, by the way, is the whole story of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible is God coming to us going, here's the way of life. Here's the way of death. Here's my way. Here's your way. I'm inviting you to take my way. And over and over and over, what we've done is, no, thank you. But we will take our own way. Adam and Eve did this. And instead of it bringing pleasure, it brought shame. They ran from God. They hid. They covered themselves because they felt shame for the first time. And then if you keep reading the story, it just leads to dysfunction, chaos, and destruction. You've got Cain who kills Abel. Then you've got murder left and right, people doing atrocities to each other. And the story is a downward spiral again and again and again. And by the way, if you're curious, like what hell is all about, that's what hell is all about. It's when God eventually just says, you want your own way? Then you can have your own way and I'll step back and I'll just let you go. And it's a downward spiral, not into more life and pleasure, but into chaos, dysfunction, and destruction. Now, if all of this is like, wow, this is probably the most depressing sermon I've ever heard. Um, Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And look at this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've all gone our own way. The story of the Bible is not a story of good people versus bad people. The good people who choose the right path and the bad people who choose the wrong path. That's not the story. You know what the story is? We all chose the wrong path. We all walked into the wide gate. We've been running down the the easy path, headed for hell as fast as we could without any concern, without any thought. And in the mercy and love of God, there wasn't a second of our lives where he was so angry or upset at us that he wasn't burning with affection and sympathy and love. He comes to this earth and Jesus, he walks the path that you and I could not walk. He takes that ridge in the right way and he lives perfectly in the way that he's describing. He never lusted. He, he, he didn't walk out on us in unfaithfulness. He didn't, he didn't take money and possessions and try to store up his treasure. Like he lived into everything that he's calling us to live into perfectly. And then he goes to a cross and this perfect Jesus, fully God, fully human, he actually dies for our way that we had lived, all the way that we had rejected and rebelled and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he dies. Yeah, you can get excited about that. That's okay if you want to get excited because this is, this is the good news of the gospel. We went the wrong way. He came. He went the right way. He lived perfectly and then he took the, the punishment for all of the way that we have lived. And he rose again and he offers us Life And he comes to us with these words, I am the way. I am the truth. 
I am the life. If you want the Father, just come to me and you will have the Father. And, and this is more than just stepping into a gate and going, great, now I'm a Christian. It's like you step into Jesus and then you continue walking with Jesus in this new way. And that's the journey of what it is to be a Christian. So where do we go from here? Well, listen, if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage you at this point in the sermon, Jesus is telling you one of two paths that you currently are on. It is your reality. You are either on the easy path or you are on the hard path. And he's inviting you today to enter the narrow gate. He's inviting you. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter your past or how you've lived. He's, he's calling out you. You, I'm inviting into this narrow gate. No matter how far down the, the hard path, the easy path rather, that you find yourself, the narrow gate's always just right there. It's just right there. You just get off and respond to Jesus, come to Jesus. He's inviting you to do that. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then just two things that I wanna give you as we wrap it up. The first is, man, I I wanna urge you again and again to take your own formation seriously. Because Jesus is saying, if you have entered the narrow gate, then you are walking a very hard path of obeying my commands. And I want to encourage you, if you would claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you'd claim to like step into Christianity, don't picture this as like jumping into the, la- the lazy river, right? I just, I got a pass at the station and more. It's a water park and my kids love it. And my current favorite thing is the lazy river because I love to be lazy on my day off and just float around the river. And some of us, that's our vision of Christianity. It's like, you just kind of enter in and all right, I'm going to, you know, eventually become who I want to be in 40 years. And Jesus is saying, actually, you're on the hard path. You have to work at this. You got to try. You got to put effort into this, right? Like if someone said, yeah, I really have been thinking about being a bodybuilder, but they like keep eating frozen pizzas and never going to the gym. You'd be like, well, you can say that all day long, but like you look like Andrew Burkhart. You're not a bodybuilder, right? What he's inviting us into is, is hey, if you're going to, if you're going to actually follow Jesus, it's going to take some real work, some real effort. That leads to the last thing. Be careful of claiming to have entered this narrow gate if you're not also walking the hard path. Because yes, salvation is by grace, through faith, in Jesus. It's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. But that grace never, ever, ever, ever comes alone. It always comes with a desire to follow Jesus on the hard path.